time for Dishing Up Nutrition with licensed nutritionist Darlene Kavist. Each week, Darlene explains the connection between what you eat and how you feel. Stay tuned to hear practical, real-life solutions for healthier living through good nutrition. Dishing Up Nutrition is brought to you by Nutritional Weight and Wellness. Slow down, you move too fast. You got to make the morning last. Just kicking down the cobblestones. Looking for fun and feeling groovy. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Dishing Up Nutrition. My name is Cassie Wienis. I'm a registered and licensed dietitian. I work for Nutritional Weight and Wellness, the company that's sponsoring this program. As many of you know, each week on this program, we bring you up-to-date research and information on how eating real food in balance can change your life. And I know we have a lot of longtime listeners out there. You longtime listeners are probably expecting me to give my usual shout-out to my two biggest fans listening back home. But I can't really do that this morning. I can only give a shout out to one of those big fans listening back home, and that's Riley, my almost middle schooler. Can you believe that? So good morning, Riley. My other biggest fan, my eight and a half year old Marissa, I have no need to say hello to, but I will let her say hello to all of you because she's sitting right next to me in studio this morning. Hi, everyone. And a special hug is to all of my friends and family All of you out there in listener land are going to want to stay close by your radio for the next hour. We have a great show planned. Our topic is centered around food allergies and sensitivities. And while the show truly pertains to people of all ages, we will be leaning a bit more towards how food allergies affect kids and how to navigate this world as a kid when you have one or more foods you need to avoid. Marissa has become quite the young expert in this topic because of her own food allergies, and so we'll be getting a lot of great advice from her throughout the hour. And when it comes to brilliant minds in studio today, we have yet another across the way from me is (laughs) Brenna Thompson. I don't know about brilliant. Oh, I would say so. Brenna is a registered and licensed dietitian. Brenna is always ready to add research and expertise to any show, radio show she's on, and she keeps very busy if she's not sightseeing in Alaska. That's right. 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 Yeah. She's just recently back from a fun trip to Alaska, but she's usually busy seeing clients at either our Maple Grove office or our North Oaks office. She also teaches a lot of nutrition classes for us. Welcome, Brenna. Well, thank you. And hello to everybody this morning. And I'd like to kick off the hour today by giving you some sobering facts on this topic and also by sharing a little bit of my own personal story as it relates to, I guess, more along the lines of a food sensitivity. But first, the facts. So food allergies are on the rise. According to a study released in 2013 by the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, Food allergies among children increased about 50% between 1997 and 2011. That's unbelievable. That's incredible. 50%. I guess my question with that is, have they increased in just the number of kids with them or are we just better at diagnosing them? Hmm. I think more people are having them. I think more people are having them. So this potentially deadly disease, food allergies, affects one in every 13 kids under the age of 18 years of age. In the U.S., that's about two in every classroom. And the economic cost of children's food allergies is nearly $25 billion each year. Which just blows my mind when you think how hard it is to get an insurance company to cover our nutrition services. Right. <laughs> and we counsel a lot of people with food allergies, but yet... You know, if you just let things get worse and worse and they're getting a bunch of prescription medication, $25 billion a year. Right. 
And for myself, I don't have a food allergy. I don't um, break out in hives or anaphylaxis or anything like that. But over the last several years, I've just figured out that there are certain foods that do not agree with my digestive system. Uh, so one that took me a long time to figure out was eggs. So at nutritional... And that's pretty common, really, but yes. not everybody knows that. Yeah. And so I've just noticed that particularly if I have eggs too many days in a row mm-hmm. or especially scrambled eggs or omelets mm-hmm. really make me feel kind of nauseous, um, a lot of indigestion. Uh, so I just make sure that I don't eat eggs very you know, often. Yeah, d- hearing you say that reminds me of a conference I was at years back, and they had this top allergist there from Mount Sinai. I think that's on the East Coast. And she said the number three most common allergy in the U.S. is eggs. It's eggs, food yeah. Allergy. yeah. Other things that I've just noticed are raw apples will give me a lot of gas and bloating. So I just don't eat raw apples. Right. Easy enough. Easy enough. Um, But a lot of, I always kind of make the joke that a lot of my clients have sensitivities to gluten and I just have a sensitivity to fiber. (laughs) (laughs) And you're a dietitian. And I'm a dietitian. Uh, But I just know that grain or beans, lentils, and then especially cauliflower, cabbage, Brussels sprouts, I have to just be very particular about when I'm going to eat them how often, how much. Um, yeah. So. yeah. Are you alone that day or not? <laughs> right. Oh, and I guess the other one was soy. Like I, soy is a big one. It's kind of like the eggs, almost worse, where I just, I never eat it. It's hard to digest. It's so hard to digest. Yeah. It's not fun. Well, I'd like to share a little of Marissa's story. We heard Brenna's story and some of the foods that cause her problems. And Marissa, you can add to this story if you'd like. But the reason really that we first discovered Marissa's food allergies was because of her older brother, Riley. When he tested positive for celiac disease six years ago, it was recommended that the whole family be tested since celiac disease tends to run in families. And that's when we found out Marissa has celiac too. And Marissa, for anyone listening that doesn't know what celiac is, how would you explain it? Celiac is a really bad allergy to gluten. And gluten is the protein found in wheat, barley, rice, spelt, and most oats. Right. Now, don't think that if you haven't been diagnosed with celiac that you're in the clear and can eat all the gluten you want. You could potentially have something called non-celiac gluten sensitivity, which is what I have. And we've done a whole radio program in the past on the differences and similarities of these two diagnoses. So we're not going to go down that road again today. Today, we're going to talk more in general about food allergies and symptoms and how to navigate life when you have food allergies But if anyone listening does want to learn more about celiac disease versus non-celiac gluten sensitivity, I encourage you to listen to our past radio program. We did a whole radio show on celiac and gluten sensitivity. That was Brittany and I, and that was back on March 14th of 2015. And there are actually three different ways you can listen for those of you that aren't familiar. First of all, you could go to our website at weightandwellness.com and simply click on the radio show tab, and that's free of charge. We're also free on iTunes, so you can find that past radio show via iTunes. And then the third way, the most recent way, is that we have our own app. It's called Dishing Up Nutrition, so you just go to the app store, type in Dishing Up Nutrition. Now, this app was launched last June. I can't believe it's been that long already, but it was launched last June. So the particular radio show I mentioned that was March 2015, you wouldn't be able to find it on the app. But anything from last June up until now would be on that Dishing Up Nutrition app. And then you can listen to us in your car while you sit in traffic. 
<laughs> summer traffic. Don't we know about detours, On the way to Marissa? The lake. Yeah, or that too. Now, back to Marissa's story and your family's story. Didn't you find out about a dairy allergy around the same time that the celiac diagnosis came about? Yes, we tested for a dairy allergy at the same time we tested for celiac because I knew from reading the research that they've identified proteins in dairy, especially the casein, that can cause an allergic and really inflammatory response in as many as half of the people with celiac. So I wanted that tested at the same time. And if any of you love reading the research, like I know you do, Brenna, (laughs) this bit of information was actually reported in the Journal of Clinical and Experimental Immunology back in March of 2007. And as you've shared with me before, the test for a dairy allergy came back positive for all three of you, right? Well, you're remembering right that Riley and Marissa and myself are all dairy-free, but my test didn't show that I had an allergy to dairy. What happened was I went dairy-free to support my kids because both of their test results showed an allergy to the proteins in dairy. So I gave it up with them, and I found that my adult acne cleared up, my seasonal stuffy nose went away, and my legs no longer ached at the end of the day. How long did it take you to see those results? You know, I'm trying to think of what month we dropped the dairy because the seasonal stuffy nose I might not have realized for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, it probably took me a couple of weeks. Sure. You know, it wasn't overnight, but it was within a few weeks. Right. So obviously, yeah, dairy and I just don't mix, but for whatever reason, the tests didn't show that. I just figured it out by accident. Now, that brings up an excellent point that we should address, and that is that so many of the blood tests out there for various food allergies or food sensitivities are not always accurate. Oftentimes, they show that the body is not reacting to the food in question when really it is, or it shows a lot of false positives, and people will come back and they'll have a laundry list of foods that they're supposedly sensitive to. And you're like, no way. There's no way. Um, You know, maybe one or two on there, yes, but they're sitting there and they're like, oh, I'm sensitive to all these foods. No, probably not. No, no, I know. And that's where it takes a good nutritionist to help you out. Like when my mom had my doctor test for a corn allergy last summer and it showed I didn't have a corn allergy. That is a great example. Um, do we have time for me I, to... We might want to wait and I'm talk about that when we come about back. how we figured that one out when we come back from break. Yes, and you are listening to Dishing Up Nutrition. Our topic today is centered around food sensitivities and food allergies. And we're certainly going to delve back into that topic on the other side of this break. But first, a little food for thought that is unrelated to today's topic that we really wanted to bring awareness to because it's been in the news in the past couple months and because it's a growing problem, and that is antibiotic resistance. Are you one of the many moms out there who have insisted on antibiotics for your child's ear infection or tonsillitis without knowing for sure that that bug that your child has is actually a bacterial infection? Or maybe you're one of the thousands who have not exactly administrated those administered those antibiotics to your child as you were instructed. Maybe you stopped sooner than the doctor said because your child or yourself, for that matter, seemed all better. Or maybe life just got so hectic you kept missing doses here and there. When we get back from commercial break, Cassie is going to explain why these little faux pas can really elicit serious consequences. 
And if you have questions for Marissa today about navigating a kid's world with food allergies, give us a call in studio at 651-641-1071. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Dishing Up Nutrition. I'm Cassie Wienis, registered and licensed dietitian. In studio with this with me this morning, to my left, is Marissa, my almost third grade daughter. Across the way from me is Brenna Thompson, also a registered and licensed dietitian. Now, before we went to break, Brenna mentioned a couple of blunders that many in this country have been guilty of when it comes to antibiotic use. We're going to get back to that little story. But we realized while we were on break, and I will take the blame for this... <laughs> We pushed the, I pushed the wrong on button for Marissa's microphone. So you probably noticed that the first couple of times she was speaking, you guys weren't hearing it. Brenna and I were because we were in studio. And then I realized it partway through the show and, and pushed the other on button. So Marissa wants to at least say hello to everybody because I don't think any of you heard that before. And it was a very sweet hello. Do you want to repeat that? Hello to all of my friends and family members. Awesome. All right. So we were talking about some blunders that many have been guilty of when it comes to antibiotic use. Those blunders are asking your doctor for an antibiotic antibiotic prescription when you're not certain the germ you're fighting is bacterial or not. And the other mistake is not giving your child the medicine exactly as the doctor ordered. Both of these scenarios are contributing to the growing problem of antibiotic resistance. Probably most all of you listening have heard that term before. It's been in the news a lot lately. But if you're not familiar with what antibiotic resistance is, the short definition is that it's when an antibiotic has basically lost its ability to kill unfriendly bacteria. In other words, the antibiotic can't kill the germ that's making you sick. And I'm sure everyone can imagine scenarios where this can create real problems, sometimes even lead to death. And that's scary. So the question is, well, what do we do? Because the Centers for Disease Control has already identified 18, 18. That's scary. That's a lot. Antibiotic-resistant germs that threaten the health of Americans. Part of the solution will need to be researchers developing new antibiotics to address these so-called superbugs. But there are also at least three or four other things that we can all start doing. First, demand that antibi- don't demand antibiotics right. for whatever is ailing you or your child unless your doctor has really made a diagnosis that what you're fighting is bacterial and that you need it. Second, take your medicine just how the doctor says to. If the doctor s- says to take it for 10 days, don't stop at 7 days just because you're feeling better. Take the medicine for the whole 10 days. Another thing you can do is buy meat that is antibiotic free, and it'll say this right on the front of the packaging if it is antibiotic free. And last but not least, keep your digestive system in excellent condition. Longtime listeners have heard us say before that about 70% of your immune cells live in your digestive tract. So if you keep your digestive system working well by eating real foods in balance and getting plenty of probiotics, either from food or a high quality supplement, such as the Nutri-Key Bifido Balance, right. then you will have good defenses to help you fight off those bad germs before they can take hold and multiply to the point where antibiotics are necessary. Good point. Uh, you know, prevention is always the best route. Absolutely. So before we went to break, you were going to tell us a little bit about Marissa's 
corn allergy. Right. As she mentioned, um, the test didn't show that she had a corn allergy, but I'm certain something's there. And and I'm glad Marissa brought that up. I just want to give sort of the short version of a pretty long story. Last summer, it was a Saturday night in June. I remember it was the Saturday night before Father's Day, and the neighbors were having a bonfire. Bonfires had never been a problem for us in the past, but this particular summer night in June, Marissa was suddenly having a lot of trouble breathing. Her and I came home. I was so very close to taking her to the emergency room, but the labored breathing finally started to subside, and we stayed home. Of course, I was very worried about this episode. I can only imagine that was really scary for both of you. It was really scary, and Scott was gone that weekend, so it was just me at home, and yeah, I don't want to hopefully have to Don't relive think about that it too again. Much. <laughs> no, no, but of course it was very scary. And so I made an appointment the following Monday with her pediatrician just to talk through it and see what advice they might have to give. And when I explained to the pediatrician that I was sure corn and maybe some other foods were causing inflammation in her lungs and then the smoke from the bonfire just put things over the edge, he actually listened to me. Oh, wow. He didn't look at me like I had two heads and was crazy mom, which <laughs> often happens when I'm in the pediatrician's office. No, I was so pleased. He he listened to what I said and he said, let's run a panel of food tests. Mm-hmm. So, of course, I agreed. And as soon as I agreed inside, it's kind of like my bubble burst. And I thought, oh, but I know so often these tests don't show anything. It's kind of like you said, Brenna, so often they're not accurate. And sure enough, we waited a week and then the blood test results came back and it showed she was allergic to nothing. But I know I have a sensitivity to corn because if I'm eating it every day, I have trouble breathing, even if I'm not at a bonfire. So, you know, here's a good time to explain. There's a real difference in the clinical definition of a food allergy versus a food sensitivity, or some people call it a food intolerance. With a food allergy, the body's having an abnormal immune response to a food protein. And oftentimes, not always, but oftentimes food allergy responses occur within minutes after eating the offending food. Food sensitivities are much more common in the United States, and these occur when a trigger food or sometimes a food additive produces symptoms without involving an immune system reaction. And both allergies and sensitivities can really vary in degree of severity from one person to the next. You know, Marissa is a great example with her dairy allergy, things like ice cream and cow's milk. Marissa never has them. They're very inflammatory to her body and she needs to avoid them to feel good and be healthy. But with corn, that probably falls into the realm of a sensitivity and that's a little more mild for her. So we actually keep a food journal and if she has let's say, a treat at school from a classmate that contains corn syrup. Because Lord knows most treats at school contain corn syrup. It's in everything. It's in everything, absolutely. So if that happens, then we write it down in her food journal, and she knows not to have corn again for six or seven days. And if we keep corn this infrequent, we're good. So do you remember what you had been eating before the bonfire or at the bonfire that you think really triggered her to have that big flare-up? You know, I don't think it was any one thing that day, but she does so many of the gluten-free snacks, you know, have corn. And we certainly do try to eat our fruits and our vegetables and lots of real foods. But there are the crackers that have rice in them. Mm -hmm. Um, She's had the pretzels before, the gluten-free pretzels that have, excuse me, the crackers that have corn in them and the gluten-free pretzels that have corn in them. 
I just remember at the time, I don't remember any specific foods, but I remember thinking I had some intuition going on before this episode right? that corn was not working for her because there were times at night, too, where she was starting to have reflux like her brother okay. Riley had with the gluten. Yeah. And I'm like... I just, you know how sometimes you just know. You just know. And I thought, this corn is not doing us any service. And then it put us over the edge at the bonfire. Yeah. So now I'm sure some listeners are thinking, well, how do I know? How do I know when the offending food needs to be cut out altogether? And when can I have a little of it, say, every seven days? And this is where you'd really do best by getting some answers to these questions from a dietitian or a nutritionist at Nutritional Weight and Wellness. And we have counseled many, many clients with food allergies, and we can set you up on a plan that is right for you. Because every individual is very unique, and so each person with food allergies or a sensitivity or an intolerance or whatever you want to call it, they need their own unique plan. It's very different from one person to the next. And on that note, as many of our listeners are now probably wondering wondering whether they have a food sensitivity causing some of their issues, I want to be sure everyone knows you can be allergic to absolutely any food. Having said that, there are 90... Well, let me back up. Having said that, 90% of all allergic reactions are related to one of the following eight foods. Wheat, milk, eggs, peanuts, tree nuts soy, fish, and shellfish. But really, there are no limits. Any food can cause an allergy or a sensitivity. Well, and as I was telling you before we came into the studio today, I have a client who's allergic to carrots. And who who would have guessed? Yes. And I have two clients who are allergic or sensitive to chicken. And we would think, well, carrots and chicken. What? I remember the first time I heard carrots was the first really odd one I heard at at work one day from a colleague that was allergic. And I thought, oh, my Lord, if you can be allergic to carrots, then you can be allergic to absolutely anything. Right. Yes. You know, I think we should probably take our next commercial break. I think so. And I think we're going to let Marissa take this one. It's time for our second break. You're listening to Dishing Up Nutrition, and today we're talking about food allergies. When we come back, we're going to share some of my favorite gluten-free and dairy-free meals and snack ideas. But before we go, I have a trivia question for you from one of my brother Riley's books called Quiz Whiz. If all of your intestines were stretched out, how long would they be? A, as long as a banana, B, as long as a baseball bat, or C, as long as two cars. I'll have the answer when we come back. And if you're just joining us, my name is Marissa and I'm eight and a half years old. You can call me with your food allergy questions today at 651-641-1071. Welcome back, everyone. If you've been listening since the top of the hour, you know our topic is food allergies and sensitivities. Before we went to break, we gave you a little trivia. We asked if your intestines, in other words, your digestive tract, were all stretched out, how long would it be? And you had an A, B, or C answer to choose from. Marissa, do you want to give them the correct answer? Yes. Those of you who said C, as long as two cars were right. That is a lot of intestine. That, and if you're healthy, that intestinal tract is filled with several pounds of good bacteria that help fight bad germs and that hopefully help prevent you from needing antibiotics, as we talked about earlier in the hour. 
But back to our original topic, today's topic. As we promised, we want to give you some gluten-free, dairy-free meal and snack ideas. So let's start with breakfast. Marissa, what is one of your favorite breakfasts? A protein smoothie. I have this almost every morning, and it's a recipe I came up with. First, take eight ounces of coconut milk from the carton, plus two ounces of water, and a scoop of the vanilla-flavored paley... Paleo, paleo a hard word. protein powder. Then add one teaspoon of real maple syrup and one tablespoon of cocoa powder. Blend these ingredients together and then serve up with half a banana sliced up and topped with peanut butter or sun butter. And there you have a balanced breakfast with protein, carbohydrate, and healthy fat. That sounds delicious. Did you bring me any this morning? <laughs> no. She wanted me to make it for her breakfast as we were rushing out the door. And I said, you know what? If dad and Riley weren't still sleeping, I would turn the blender on. But we got to grab our beef sticks and fruit and go. And go. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, we were so excited when this paleo protein came on the market a couple of years ago. Probably a lot of our listeners do the whey protein powder which is great if you can do it. But if you remember from earlier in the show, we talked about how Riley and Marissa and I don't do well with dairy products, the the protein in the dairy. And that's what whey is. Right. It's a protein in the dairy. Um, and we just can't do it. So we weren't doing smoothies for a couple of years. And then paleo protein came on the market. And we should tell the listeners what it's made from. It's made from the muscle of cows. It's beef. It's beef. In a canister. Where's the beef? Where's the beef? You open it up, though, and it smells like vanilla cupcakes. So I'm not sure how they did this. Or it smells like chocolate. Yes, you have the chocolate one. I love the chocolate. And what I love about the new, so we started getting a new one, and I think it's made from Metagenics. I forget, but I, that's what I have yes. right now is the newer one that And it mixes up better. really well, mm-hmm. and you can actually mix it into coffee. <gasps> we are can so you tell what I do in the morning? That. Try that. We'll try that, Marissa. Yeah, oh. so you can mix it into coffee, and you can make a little protein mocha with it. Well, we might just have to buy the chocolate one. I've been buying the vanilla one, so it has more versatility, but I think every single time mm-hmm. we add a tablespoon of cocoa powder, so why don't I just buy the chocolate? You can have both. Well, the vanilla is also very good in coffee as well. Oh. Okay, I need to go have some coffee. I'd rather have the chocolate one. The chocolate one? Well, we have to stop at the office today, so maybe we'll buy that chocolate one. But that's a great um, option for anybody out there listening that can't do dairy but wants to have a protein powder to do a smoothie with, is that paleo protein powder. And another simple gluten and dairy-free breakfast that's great for kids and adults is to just scramble up some eggs from some grass-fed, happy, pasture-raised chickens. Scramble them in a little olive oil or a little coconut oil, and then serve it with, say, half a cup of some sliced strawberries, since they're in season right now. Oh, they are so juicy. Or blueberries. And then dice up, say, half an avocado for another healthy fat. Put that on top of your eggs. Maybe a little salt, some salsa, and you've got a nice little kind of Mexican breakfast. Did you make that for me this morning? I did not. You saw what I had for breakfast. Yes, you had a good breakfast, though. But that's a delicious idea. It's easy, and it has that magic number three that we so often talk about on this radio show and in our classes. The eggs are the protein. The strawberries are the healthy carbohydrate. The avocado is the healthy fat. There you have that magic number three that balances your blood sugars and helps you feel your best. And one of my favorite snacks is a beef stick or something I eat. Two beef, or sometimes eat two beef sticks and applesauce. My grandma makes good applesauce from apples she picks at a friend's house. And her friend doesn't spray the apples with chemicals, so it's really healthy applesauce. 
That sounds really good. And for more real meal and snack ideas, you can check out our website, weightandwellness.com. We have many different delicious recipes that you can print off at no charge. Two of my favorites, and I forgot to check exactly. I think we have both the salmon cakes and the salmon salad on the website. If not, I know we've got the chicken salad on there. We have turkey patties. They're all in my cookbook, which I use so often. So, so often. yeah, I'm not sure, but check, yeah, on the website because those are all they're good delicious. Ones you just Anything named. with salmon and mayonnaise, I am I'm all on board for. And you know what? I know I love mayonnaise. I have to say I've made those salmon patties before and my husband says he doesn't like salmon, but I didn't tell him anything. I just like served this up and he ate them. So okay, I, that's I don't funny know. because Ryan is the same way. That he's like, oh, I don't really like, you know, salmon cakes or that yeah. kind of thing. But I made those for him during Lent this year. And he goes, these are great. It must be the combination of spices and you put enough mayo in there. And everything's good. Everything's good with enough mayo and enough bacon. Maybe we should add bacon to that Ooh, recipe. Yum. And let's see, where were we? Okay, so we gave you some meal and snack ideas. We were talking, though, before we went to break about the fact that Really, any food can cause a food allergy or a food sensitivity. And remember, the blood test for food allergies do not always tell the truth. And that's a great point, Marissa. So if you, let's say, were tested for dairy because your doctor thought it might be causing your eczema or your chronic sinus infections, if your test came back negative, we would still strongly suggest that you do the tried and true test, which is to cut the dairy out 100%. Not, oh, I'm going to cut it out most days or just reduce it, but none of it, not a bit for four weeks. You know, that's a good point, Brenna, 100%, because I was just reading something last night in one of my food allergy textbooks, and it was saying eating a little bit of the food that you think you might be allergic to is the same as eating a lot of it. Right. Just a little speck can cause that negative reaction in your body. So the tried and true test has to be cut it out 100%. And you were mentioning eczema and chronic sinus infections. You and I know those are common symptoms of a dairy allergy. Sometimes they're symptoms of a gluten allergy. I'd like to continue on that train of thought and mention some more body signs of food allergies or food sensitivities. Great idea. But first, a little disclaimer here. The truth is absolutely any ill body sign or symptom may have something to do with a food allergy or food sensitivity. But for the sake of time here, we're going to just name the common ones that we see quite often. Now in kids, bedwetting comes to the top of my mind. Even in kids as old as 10, 11, 12, they will wet the bed. Itchy skin or skin rashes, belligerent or naughty behavior, Stomach aches, which are often associated with constipation. And remember, one of my body signs is if I eat too much corn is that I have trouble breathing. And let's not forget that many times a colicky baby is a baby that has a food sensitivity. Oh my goodness, how could I have forgotten that one? Marissa was so colicky, she was inconsolable most of the time. I don't remember that. <laughs> no, you probably don't. <laughs> but I bet your mom wishes that she didn't have oh, to remember that either. Right? But yes, a colicky baby often has a dairy sensitivity or it might be gluten. It could be just anything that mom is eggs. eating. Yes, eggs. And I've had many adults with food allergies who present with diarrhea or constipation or when they have both. It's called IBS. 
Um, I have a client who came to Nutritional Weight and Wellness. Well, she had been listening to the radio program for a long time, had changed her diet, but suddenly she was getting diarrhea. And then she went to California and the diarrhea went away. And we were going, what What? is going on? Finally figured out she has a coconut allergy. Because when she was listening to us, she started eating tons of coconut. And when she was in California, she didn't eat any coconut. Ah. And I thought you were going to say something about the water or something. No. Like, what so, would be different? Coconut, you know, you know, a food that can be very healthy for one person can be bad for another, for another person. Yes. Interesting. Yeah. Wow. So back to some body signs of food allergies or sensitivities. A child who's not a good sleeper could be another possible body sign. A chronic cough is another one. And oftentimes, and I know this from all the research I've done on acid reflux because of my son Riley, oftentimes a chronic cough is a symptom of acid reflux. Yes. And acid reflux, hello, is another potential body sign of a food allergy. Well, it's just telling us that there's a lot of inflammation in the stomach and that inflammation is causing just poor digestion. Right. And that food is getting pushed back up instead of moving through. Yeah. And those are just a few of the more common signs and symptoms. Next, I'd like to touch on navigating the grocery store when you know you have a food allergy. Now, we could easily spend an entire radio show just on this little subtopic here. For sure. But since we don't have that luxury today, I want to just kind of highlight some of the main points here. And one thing to remember is that the real food in the grocery store should be your first choice because there are no hidden ingredients. Great point, Marissa. And if you have a peanut allergy, for example, and if you shop mostly the perimeter of the store where you just find meats, cheeses, fruits, and veggies, you're going to be safe. Absolutely. But, you know, in reality, most everybody's going to get into those middle aisles, at least for a few items to put a meal together. So I want to stress the importance of carefully reading food labels. Whether you are new to the food allergy world or you're a veteran, there really is never a time you should let your guard down. And the reasons for this are many. But first off, ingredients can change without warning. Companies can change an ingredient or sometimes they change the source of a particular ingredient. And there's no law saying that they need to notify you, the consumer. So always read your labels, even on products you've bought 100 times before. And something we learned at Halloween is that one size of candy bar might be safe. But the same type of candy bar in a smaller size might not be safe. That's right. At Halloween this last year, the kids got some of the smaller Hershey's candy bars, not the regular full size you see at the grocery store checkout, but more the little mini sizes. And after a little research, we learned that the smaller bars, the best I can figure is they're made in a different facility because the smaller bars have potential for cross-contamination with gluten, but the big full-size bars are actually considered safe for people with celiac disease. And did Marissa and Riley or you, did any of you have any negative We didn't symptoms? eat them. We didn't eat them. I always, I have a really good, reliable website um, mm-hmm. that I go to every year that lists the Halloween candy for that year that's safe. Okay. And then that's not safe. And it just, it jumped out at me. I'm like, oh my gosh, the small-size Hershey's aren't safe when we knew in our heads the full-size were. Right. I went back and double-checked. Are full-size Hershey's safe? Yes, they are. And after I navigated the website a long time, um, and I may even have called the Hershey's company, I figured it out. So we didn't need them. Yeah, you really have to be a nutrition detective. 
Oh my gosh. And ingredients. And like we're saying it can change next year. They might be fine, you know, because they change the plant where they're manufacturing them in. So it's, it's constantly in flux. Well, it is time for our final commercial break. Just a reminder that this show is being brought to you by Nutritional Weight and Wellness. As we talked about earlier in the show, if you suspect that you or your child has one or more food sensitivities and you'd like to talk to a nutritionist or a dietitian well-versed in this area who can help pinpoint the offending foods and also set you up with a healthy meal plan, we have many office locations to choose from. You can go to our website, weightandwellness.com, to find out where those are. But if you live in other areas outside of Minnesota or the Twin Cities, um, you can definitely still have a consult with us. We do phone or Skype appointments. And don't you have somebody out of the country? Oh, yeah. We have people in Australia and England Isn't and Canada. Amazing. Yes. All over the place. But if you want to get a hold of our main office, just call 651-699-3438 and whoever answers the phone can get you scheduled for that appointment. But stay tuned because when we get back from break, we're going to talk about a very important vitamin that nearly all of our listeners should be supplementing with. Welcome back, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in to Dishing Up Nutrition and spending your Saturday morning with us. As Brenna mentioned before we went to commercial, there's a vitamin that I can safely say a large majority of our listeners should be supplementing with. This is a vitamin Brenna and myself and Marissa all take. Marissa, do you want to tell them what vitamin this is? Yes, it is vitamin D, and the kind we take is great for kids because it's a liquid. So if you can't swallow pills, you can take the liquid form. And why are we saying many people would benefit from taking vitamin D? Well, many of the experts, including including Dr. Michael Hollick, who wrote an entire book on the benefits of vitamin D, are saying that a vitamin D deficiency is a growing worldwide problem. And as it pertains to today's topic, there is some interesting research from the Journal of Allergy and Clinical Immunology that was published in 2011, showing that children and adolescents with low blood levels of vitamin D have an increased risk of having allergies compared to their counterparts with higher vitamin D levels. There's also a more recent study that was published in 2013 showing that infants with low vitamin D levels were more likely to have an egg or peanut allergy and were more likely to have multiple allergies compared to infants with normal vitamin D levels. And be sure to have your kids' vitamin D levels tested. My mom had me tested two times already. It's pretty easy. The nurse just has to take a little bread from your arm. It just feels like a little pinch. And just an FYI, I know some doctor's offices tell you anything above 30 is good when you're having your blood level tested, but to truly reach your best health and to help prevent more food allergies or sensitivities from arising, you want your blood level of vitamin D to be between 50 and 80. 50 and 80. And I know if I'm not consistently taking 5,000 just kind of year round, mine just starts to just tank. Mine too. You know, I I got tested and I was low and I started doing 5,000 in my head anyway, you know, and I'd forget. Yeah. And then this last time I got tested, I was still in the low 20s. Oh, I wow. hate to say. I know. So now I'm doing 7,000 and I wrote myself a sticky note. So I remember it every single day and I'm going to test again in a few more months here and see. And maybe I need to do 10,000 for a while. Who knows? Maybe. I mean, some, mm-hmm. some of us do. And so before our break, you were talking about when we're grocery shopping and we're looking at ingredients that sometimes products will have hidden gluten 
Or they might have hidden dairy. And you might think that, oh, because I'm eating a Hershey bar, the fun size will be fine. But it's not. Right. Uh, you know, you just have to really do your research. Like I said, with those Hershey's bars, we found that the smaller size were made in a different facility and they must have been, been making something that contained gluten on the same equipment. And for somebody with celiac disease, that's enough. You know, that little speck that could get in that bar that you or I can't see could make somebody sick. And I think people with peanut allergies get this because they have to be just as careful. You know, you can find traces of peanuts in certain brands of spaghetti sauces. You can find traces of peanuts in certain brands of salad dressings. So you just, you have to be diligent all the time. Yeah. And the best thing, if you're not sure if a product is safe for you or not, is either just don't eat it or call the company that makes it. And what does your mom most often ask when she calls a food company? My mom always asks two questions. Does this food contain gluten and was it made on equipment that processes gluten? And the last part of that question is the part people sometimes forget to ask. Was this product manufactured on equipment that manufactures gluten grains? You know, I mean, if you have a carrot allergy, you don't have to ask that. But if you're somebody with (laughs) celiac disease, right, you have to ask that. And you'd be surprised at some of the foods that are cross-contaminated. One that I still remember that surprised even me a little bit was a Walmart brand of frozen vegetables. I think they were green beans. And I think Walmart has changed practices since then. So don't, Mm -hmm. um, you know, don't quote you on this. Don't quote me right now on this because this was three or four years ago and we were at my mom and dad's farm in North Dakota Mom and I were putting together a meal, and I went to grab frozen vegetables from the freezer. Luckily, she had different brands down there Mm -hmm. on the farm. They really stock up because they don't get to town very often. But I turned over the Walmart brand, which we then did not eat. And right after green beans, it said may contain wheat. That's crazy. You find it in just strange places. Yeah. I remember at Halloween, we were talking, and you said that it's um, a lot of candy Yes. Even the hard candies, or I think at Christmas, you were saying that candy canes will get cross-contaminated. Yep, we have to be careful of our brand. The teachers always want to hand out candy canes, it yeah. seems like, don't they? So I always um, do my research each year. You know, I don't just do research one year and find my brands. Every year I do it because it can change, change from year to year. Now, while we were on break, we had somebody call in and they just kind of had a question about navigating maybe going to slumber parties or probably school functions and how do you deal with treats or eating at those things and yeah play dates potlucks boy this could be a whole nother show that right could be a whole it could other be. Show. I know how to do you have an answer for that what are you thinking of you could um just send something with them that that's like a cheat they have but it doesn't have the thing they're allergic to. Oh my goodness. Great answer. And we've done that before. I do work very closely with the teachers um, when they're having a Christmas party or a Halloween party. If they're going to serve a treat to try to have something that looks very similar that is safe for us. You know, it's probably not going to be carrot sticks and, and ranch. I'm trying to match up because while this show is all about real food, when you have a child with food allergies, there's also that psychological piece, yes. that social piece, and that is very important, too. So I do try to match up things. Or we were just at a birthday party, weren't we? Miss Social over here. She had a birthday party um, about a week ago, a summer birthday, and the lady was having, having ice cream cake. That's and so right. I had to pack my... I, I had to pack... Dairy-free ice cream and a cupcake, and 
at school when kids have birthdays, I pack. I just ha- pack a treat and I put it somewhere in the classroom. And then if they bring something I can't have, I just take that. And I, when it's gone, I just bring another one back. Good point. That's right. At school, she has a little cubby where she always keeps a. A gluten-free That's treat. That's what I did this year, but last year I put it in a different place. Last year, every teacher is a little different. Um, so we do, you know, and I always meet with the teachers before school starts, and I bring my children with, so they meet each other, mm-hmm. um, and I explain the 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 level of severity here, and we talk through some scenarios like snack time for one, um, birthday treats, those types of things. I could go on and on, but I see you looking <laughs> at the clock, and I think. I think this needs to be another show. I Renna think so, too. I, agree. I, think, I think we will be meeting again. But our show is coming to an end, sadly, too fast. Before we're out of time, I think there's at least one more thing Marissa was hoping to say, wasn't there? I wanted to say I have really great friends in my neighborhood and at school that know about al- food allergies and other allergies and help me out. So I'm really lucky that way. And I would agree with that 100%, Marissa. You know, I honestly have been taken aback at times at how a friend or a neighbor will go out of their way to help keep Riley and Marissa safe and to help them feel like one of the gang. So to those of you who have cared enough to, for example, call me about the upcoming 4th of July picnic and ask what you can bring that my kids could eat too, or to those who, of you who have brought gluten-free cupcakes to share with the whole class when your child has a birthday so my kid feels included you are priceless and we thank you more than you know yes and thank you for listening to dishing up nutrition be sure to tune in next week on saturday july 2nd when we replay our show on alzheimer's disease with dr mary newport who really helped slow the progression of her husband's alzheimer's have a great weekend everybody have a great saturday Thanks for listening to Dishing Up Nutrition. If you enjoy this podcast, please share your favorite episodes with a friend or leave a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or iHeartRadio. The content and opinions expressed are those of the hosts or presenters. They are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent disease. Product statements have not been evaluated by the FDA.